0: Well, good morning, Crossroads. It's good to be together. I realize, I think I say that every time I come up here, but today, it's especially good to be together. And kind of a celebratory note for Morgan and myself, today, this week, marks two years exactly since we first walked through those doors right out there and joined this fellowship for worship on just our second day in New Mexico. And <laughs> thank you. And, and we just wanted to say from the bottom of our heart, thank you. Uh, thank you for, for welcoming us, for your hospitality, your genuineness, And your love, and not only all of those things, but also for the example that you have been to us of what it looks like to be a community, to be individuals that seek to live with, with Christ's word at the center of their lives, leading and directing us. one of the first observations that we made was how it it seemed in every conversation that we had, Scripture just happened to be a part of that conversation. And it was clear to us, and as I reflected on that time two years ago, that this body of believers desires to to sing the words of Psalm 119, to embody what it looks like to love and cherish God's word and and to let that be our everything, to lead us to become more like him. So take that as encouragement, maybe also as a challenge, not to let up, Not to compromise, but I hope that as we have been in this psalm this summer, that truly you have grown in your appetite for God's word, your desire to know him through his revealed word to us in scripture. This is a very unique psalm, and I I hope you have enjoyed going through it, so with Today being the last day, regardless of how far I get, we're going to Hebrews next week. Lord willing, we'll be able to look at the last three stanzas today. But let's just let's look at a little bit of a recap. Uh, I know summer gets busy. It's a busy time, a lot of vacations and traveling, and things just seem to fill the schedule in the summers. So let's just remind ourselves a little bit of the uniqueness and, and the beauty of this psalm. So if you remember, about eight or nine weeks ago when Ryan introduced us to Psalm 119, we saw that one of its key features is that it's an acrostic poem. So it's, it's 22 eight-verse stanzas or, or eight-verse sections. And each of these sections, each of the, of the lines begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you can see on the screen behind me an example. Hebrew reads from right to left, so that's why it looks a little, little odd. But you'll see there that this is an example of the first stanza. So all of the, the beginning words of the, of the first line of each of the eight verses, each of the eight lines, begins with the letter Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so then, as you can imagine, the second stanza, all the the beginning words of each of the lines, begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Third and fourth, and so on and and so forth. So... um, We've, we've mentioned a few different times that, that in Hebrew literature and, and in poems in general, there's a message that is communicated not just by what is said, but also by how it's being said, by the organization of the, the poem or, or the psalm. So what we see here is when we read this specifically in Hebrew, we don't see it as much in our English translations, but we see a beauty of Psalm 119. We see a, a delightfulness. It looks nice, pleasant to the eyes. And, and we also see that it's, it's comprehensive. So it begins with uh, the first stanza, with the first letter of the alphabet, and it goes for 22 stanzas, each marking one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's kind of this A to Z kind of feel for us. And as the main message of Psalm 119 is God's word, living according to God's word. We, we see then that, that this psalm is communicating to us a message that God's word is beautiful. It's delightful. It's comprehensive. Completely sufficient for every area of our life, covering everything from A to Z, the beginning to the end. The next note that we saw about this psalm specifically is that there are eight Hebrew terms, synonyms, used to refer to God's word or his instruction. And you'll see on the screen behind me as well, these eight synonyms and varying depending on your English translation. They're all the same Hebrew words, but we shouldn't view each of these terms as they appear in Psalm 119 in their various nuance, but we should see them as all working together, pointing toward this complete picture and understanding and message of what God's word is. There's 176 verses of this psalm, and one of these eight synonyms ref- uh, that to, to refer to God's word appears. In all but two of the lines, all but two of our verses in, in English, at the beginning of this series, this is another a note that we that we took um, that we observed from this psalm is 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 that it flows a little differently than what we might expect. It's not just uh, a discourse, a straight line toward toward one conclusion, but Parker used this example of of a conversation between good friends, where it just seems like the conversation has an ebb and flow, and is, as as you 're talking about one co- one concept, another topic or story comes to mind, and so you jump there and it and it turns into a, a web of conversation and, and that 's like what this psalm is it 's not a straight line there's uh, there 's repeated Themes and and words and and ideas as the psalmist brings his requests before the Lord in, in prayer. So one one final note of of recap for us is just to review a couple of these themes that we've seen. It's, it, this is not comprehensive at all. Uh, as you you know, this is a long psalm, the longest in the Psalms in the Bible, and. These are just a few of the the themes that we have seen in in our study, beginning with one of the most common that has appeared is this idea of God's word being a comfort in the midst of affliction. The psalmist says things like, comfort me according to your word, or it was good that I was afflicted so that I could learn to, to trust in your word. We've noted how this psalmist has committed himself to living according to God's word. He's, uh, it was really fun this week. I, I went through and read this psalm and just jotted down every time he makes a commitment of his life to living according to God's word and something like over 40 times he refers to this. We also saw how God's word directs this psalmist. One of the most well-known verses in Psalm 119 is verse 105, where God's word is a light to the psalmist's path. And then lastly, we saw God's word is a delight for the psalmist. He says things like, I delight in your law. It's sweeter than honey and I love it, is what he, what he says, what he cries out So he's taken 176 verses to talk about God's word. And in in verse 96, he tells us that even this isn't enough. He says, your commandment is exceedingly broad. Your words are so extensive, I can't even do it justice. The last three stanzas that we'll look at today or a progression to wrap up this lengthy yet majestic prayer. And what we're going to attempt to do this morning is to, to draw out one observation from each of these stanzas as, as he brings it to a close. And, and noticing kind of this, this big idea of, of the effect God's word has on our life when we live it according to what he says, what he commands, loving it just like the psalmist. So if you have your Bibles and you aren't already there, open to Psalm 119. It's probably somewhere near the middle of your Bible. We'll be looking, beginning with the third to last stanza, which starts in verse 153. Here we have a cry of the psalmist for vindication, for exoneration. He's he's again being afflicted, and he cries out to the Lord. So follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 153. The psalmist says, Look upon my affliction and rescue me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great are your mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your ordinances. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not turn aside from your testimonies. I behold the treacherous and loathe them, because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. What we learn here from this psalmist is that we can bring our requests before the Lord because of his righteous judgments that are based on his word and his character. His word and his character. This is why we can let our requests be made known to him. Here in this stanza, the psalmist is seeking life, pleading for life from the Lord, one of the things you'll you'll notice is five times he directly pleads to the Lord. Beginning in verse 153, where he says, Look upon my affliction, rescue me. And then again in verse 154, Redeem me. And then in the second line of 154, revive me. Or, or your translation might have, give me life. And this is the refrain then that is repeated in one. 56 and 159, revive me, give me life. There's, there's a sense of urgency, of need that the psalmist has that, that drives the theme of this stanza. We could picture this stanza as like a, a courtroom scene where the psalmist is coming before the judge Pleading to be saved, to be rescued, to be exonerated. And as all the lawyers in the room know, no plead is going to be heard without sufficient evidence. Why should the judge grant him life? And so that's the next thing we, we know about this stanza is that the psalmist gives the basis for his request for life. If you look closely, it appears some in some type of way in every single verse of this stanza. But we can look at it kind of in, in the term of, of three different sources that he bases this plea on. First, his, himself. He bases it on, on his commitment to God's word. And then he bases it on God's word God's word itself. And then he bases it on God himself. God's character. So just briefly we'll, we'll look at, at these and, and the first of which as I, as I mentioned is he bases it on, on this commitment to God's word. So in, in 153 he says it's because I, I do not forget your law. Give me life because I don't forget your law. And then in verse 157, because he hasn't strayed from God's law, he's not turned aside from it. And this is all of a result from what he says in verse 159, that he loves God's word, and so he's committed to it. His second source on the basis of God's word He says in verse 154, revive me according to your word. What he has in mind here is what he says at the end, the last verse, verse 160 of this stanza, where he says that God's word is true, it's righteous, and it's everlasting, it's enduring forever. So if you're going to make an appeal for your innocence on some basis of evidence, don't you think you want it to be on something that's true? something that's reliable, something that's righteous. There's there's no flaw, no stain in it, and it's everlasting. It doesn't change. He's teaching us something here about God's word. God's word is true. It's it's reliable. It doesn't change with, with every new fad in culture. It's always relevant For us, never fading away. So the psalmist teaches us here to rely on God's word, to make our requests based on God's righteous word. Lastly, his final source, he, he pleads for life based on God's good character. He notes this in verse 156, great are your mercies. And then again, in 159, where he says, Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. He cries out for life based on God's character. And I want to pause here for a second. There's cause for caution when we read Psalm 119. Because we can very easily fall into this mentality that we have to do something in order to please God. We have to do something in order for him to hear our, our cries, our prayers. And it's very easily, without even knowing it, to fall into a, a works-based view of salvation. So we need to be careful to listen to what the psalmist is saying and hear him closely in what he's not saying. Because he's not saying that by reading God's word or by keeping God's commandments that he is saved. He he knows he's not. He knows these things are not going to be sufficient. He's fully aware he cannot please God himself. And this is why he pleads to the Lord in verse 159 to revive him according to the Lord's loving kindness. If you remember, he said this back in verse 88. He said the exact same thing. Revive me according to your loving kindness. According to your character. And he's just reiterating the point here. He knows his human tendency. It's to stray. To go off the path of righteousness. He says that in the very last verse, which we'll get to in a little while. He's not telling us that it's his law keeping that he should be saved. Rather, he's telling us that his law keeping is a result. It's a result of the the mercy, the grace that he has already been shown by God's word. He's told us how he's been been saved from the wicked, how God's word has, has brought him joy and comfort. He's already said this in his prayer. And so his obedience to God's word is is a result of this merciful granting of life from the Lord. Even just by the fact that he's making a request to the Lord points to the fact that he's not content making his plea based on anything that he is doing. He's fully dependent on the Lord's mercy and grace to give him life. And isn't this what we celebrate As New Covenant believers, what we've talked about already in this service, that we are saved solely on the work of Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. And the result from us should be a heart that desires to live according to his word. This is why we can bring our requests before the Lord, because of his righteous judgments, his, his loving and gracious, merciful character and his enduring word that, that does not change. And so this moves us into the next stanza where we see that after these pleas for life, the psalmist finds peace. Look now with me at verse 161 through 168, the second-to-last stanza. The psalmist says, Princes, persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. Those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. When we love God's word, we will have peace when we're experiencing trials, persecutions, life circumstances, when we truly love God's word and live our lives according to it. You'll notice this stanza is vastly different from the one before it. There's no plea for life, no plea for for rescue from the psalmist. Rather, it's as if he has made his request and now he chooses to abide in Christ, to rest in his word. He chooses to rejoice in it and love it because he knows how valuable it is. He starts off by highlighting his affliction and so we may begin to think, oh, he's, he's going to jump back into these, these pleas of, oh, Lord, save me, save me. But in a stunning turn of events, he says, I'm in awe of you and I rejoice in you. He says he rejoices in God's word as one who finds great treasure. He knows how, how valuable it is. And his his response then is to hate every false way, to hate the way of the wicked. This reminds me, maybe it reminds you too, of the story in the book of Kings where King Josiah is reigning and the copy of the law is found in the temple. And as it's read to the king, he tears his clothes and weeps, and then he sets out some of the greatest reforms in Israel's history, cutting down all the the altars to Baal and the, the high places which the other kings wouldn't do, and then instructs the people to live according to the commands in the law, and even observe the, the feasts and the festivals according to the instructions. This is an example of someone whose heart was changed, was in the right place when reading God's word. And his actions display exactly that. In comparison with the previous stanzas, it's it's as if the psalmist, as he's concluding this prayer, reminds himself of the blessing and the rich the riches that he has in God's word, and it brings him peace. This peace then prompts this psalmist to say in verse 164, seven times a day I praise you. And we shouldn't take this liter- literally as if we, we need to observe seven different times a day of prayer or scripture reading, but it's it's a way to show that that he desires his whole day to be filled with praising the Lord, that he sets his mind on the Lord throughout his whole day. This question has arisen many times throughout this summer as we've gone through this series. But we can't ask it enough. How many times during our day do we stop and and think about And meditate on Scripture. I was told just the other day of a group of our students who, on their own initiative, have started a Bible reading plan together. They've started it online, and so they read one or two chapters a day, and then they have a little, a little message board where they can comment on, on the passage of Scripture. They can ask questions and talk about what they're noticing and applications to their life. I was inspired. I don't know about you. These are our young people desiring to live their lives according to God's word and meditate on it day and night. Do you feel like you're lacking peace? Lacking joy in your life? Dig into God's word. It's a choice. It really is a choice. Life gets busy. Life gets tough. Schedules get full. But when we, when we truly love scripture, just like the psalmist and we seek to be be taught by it to live our lives according to it then in the midst of whatever life is throwing at us we can find peace as the psalmist says even in the midst of affliction from princes or maybe in in our context uh, governments or your your boss we can have Peace. If we if we truly love God's word, I had to preach this to myself this morning. Um, I was a little bit more nervous than than normal, and didn't wake up with a lot of peace this morning. And God's word is where we find peace. Because when we immerse ourselves in God's word, we begin to think his thoughts. We begin to desire to live like he lived. It changes our our own desires, the way that we talk. Our perspective starts to change. Think of the example of Acts chapter 5 where the apostles, after preaching the gospel... They're they're flogged and they're beaten, and then sent away. And as they're they're going away, the the author of Acts Luke rec- records this. He says they went away rejoicing because they considered themselves worthy, worthy to be flogged, to be beaten, to suffer for the name of Christ. Or we think of Paul and Silas when they're thrown in the Philippian jail. And what's their response after being beaten and thrown in jail? It's, it's to sing praises to the Lord. They show us an example of, of what it looks like when we truly love God's word and we truly commit our lives to it. It changes our perspective on our situation The power of God's word brings us peace that passes understanding. What what better example than Christ do we have who who was persecuted, not, not by princes, but by the Jewish authorities, the Roman authorities? And yet, yet, he set his mind to do the will of the Father. When we love God's word, we'll have peace. When we immerse ourselves in it, we begin to see a change in our hearts. Maybe not always our situation, our circumstances, but our perspective on them. We now come to the final stanza of this psalm. The psalmist has moved from a plea to the Lord for life to a confident rest and peace in his word. His word brings him. And now he he ends on what I think is one of the most important notes that that we can see from, from this psalmist is that now he humbles himself before the Lord. Let's read this last stanza together. Starting in verse 169, the psalmist says, "My cry, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live that it may praise you, and let your ordinances help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The effect of God's word on the psalmist brings him to a humble posture in prayer before the Lord. The final lesson that we learn from him is that God's word has produced in him a change of heart. As God's word draws us closer to him, we become more humble. And we have a greater recognition of our need for him, our need for repentance of our sin and confession Coming to a close, this psalmist just lets his requests spill out. You'll notice the first five verses. He says, "Let my, let my, let my, let your hand." And then again in one seventy five, "Let my soul, let your ordinances." This stanza is a, a very fitting conclusion for so many reasons, but ultimately, I think what we what we see at the at the end of of this prayer. The psalmist, his heart is in the right place because he has truly meditated on God's word. He has truly treasured it in his heart. In the first two verses, he asked that even his prayer would be heard by the Lord. He's not even assuming that he has the right to be heard, that he has the right to make a supplication before the Lord. Revealing his, his humility and his, his reverence before the Lord. Like, like he's, he's on his knees with his hands out, offering this to the Lord. And then in, in the next two verses, verse 171 and 172, he asks that, that God's word would lead him to praise God. He's, he's not worshiping the, the scripture. He's not worshiping God's word or God's law. He's worshiping the author. He's worshiping the Lord, and he realizes he can't bring an offering of praise worthy to the Lord without the Lord himself enabling him and giving ear to his praise, to his prayer. So despite the zealousness of the psalmist throughout this whole psalm, 175 verses of, Lord, let me obey it, let me me be taught by it, let me study it, let me live my life according to it, he ends on what Martin Luther calls a very emotional and tearful note. A verse that is full of tears. In verse 176, he says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep, Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I have gone astray. This is the psalmist's response to God's word, is to, is to recognize that he has, has strayed from the Lord and to seek that the Lord come and rescue him, to seek him out. This should be our response to God's word in our lives as, as it illuminates our hearts. We, we don't turn to be become arrogant of what we know of Scripture, the things we we know, the fun facts about the Bible, but but rather a true knowledge of, of God's word and, and a deep experience of it should cause us to recognize our tendency to to stray from God's word, to stray into the path of the wicked. It's not enough to have head knowledge of the scriptures. Isn't, Isn't that what the Pharisees, the religious leaders had? What's essential to the pursuit of living according to God's word is humility. That we cannot do it on our own strength. Just like that song that we sang, not I, but but Christ in me. The psalmist teaches us that if we don't come to terms with the the heinousness, the the evilness of our sin, the the tendency to, to stray, we'll never begin to grasp The goodness of God's grace. If we we don't realize the the sinfulness, the tendencies of our our human hearts, then we're not going to grasp how good, how loving our Heavenly Father truly is. There's a a movement in our culture to to pity us, isn't there? To to blame our our sin on, on our upbringing to blame it on our parents, tells us that it's okay to not be perfect. And don't hear me wrong, outside of Christ, we will never be perfect. We are going to to stray from God's righteous word like lost sheep. But I really like how the, the Puritan, Matthew Henry, he encourages us in this, this last psalm by, by, by pointing out that those who have wandered, if they continue to be mindful of their wandering, they may with, with humble confidence commit themselves to the care of God's good grace. When we go astray, we can, re- we can repent. We can call on, on our good Father, confess our sins, and, and then experience his care for us in leading us back to the green pasture. And church, this is the, the good news of the gospel. John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Though we stray from the path of righteousness, if our heart attitude is right, if we we humbly confess our sin to him, he is faithful to care for us. As we stray like lost sheep, he will seek us out and lead us back to safe pasture, we're reminded of Psalm 23, where the Lord leads the psalmist beside still waters. Even when we lose sight of him, we can know that he has never lost sight of us. Even though we are dead in our sins, even though we had no hope, Christ came and laid down his life as a sacrifice for us proving himself to be the good shepherd he is our good shepherd our our need for him grows each day because each day we go astray and we need the lord to shepherd us so we have now come to the end of psalm 119 and to quote one of my professors, is, as he sums up Psalm 119 in, in four words, says, God's word is awesome. We've breezed through this study, but one thing's for sure, we've noticed that this psalm sets out an impossible standard for us to live up to. But thanks be to God that there was one who did. There is one who perfectly lived this psalm, who can sing it in a way that you and I cannot. He is our good shepherd. A good shepherd who has laid down his life for his sheep. Do you know him? Do you know the good shepherd? If you don't if you've never made a commitment to him there's as Parker mentioned, there will be people up front men and women who will be happy to pray with you talk more about that with you but this is for everyone we need to seek our good shepherd or, or better yet we need him to seek us and he does open open your heart to him let God's word rule in your heart and lead you to an awe of him and to treasure it in your heart and meditate on it. Let me close us in prayer. Our good shepherd, we come before you with grateful hearts, that you seek us out. Even though we have gone astray, we have fallen into sin, we rebel against you, that even in our sin, you have sought us out. We thank you for laying your life down as a sacrifice for us so that we can truly know you, live our lives for you, and experience eternity with you. Thank you for being our good shepherd, for shepherding us, caring for us. Lord, may we find peace in the midst of chaos, in the complexities of life. May we commit our lives to living according to your word. Lord, as a body of believers, may we exemplify this in our lives, in our communities. Lord, we humbly come before you and ask that you hear our requests. Thank you for leading us beside still waters. Thank you for your love and your grace which you show to us each day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.